1: media and in the policy has been liberal feminism. And I think that in many cases, uh, what women object to is in fact exactly this kind of feminism, which basically has seen uh, equality with men as a fundamental goal and uh, ignoring, for instance, that men too, are exploited in this society and, uh, you know, I've seen the exclusive goal entering into the male-dominated areas. That was the voice of author and educator Dr. Silvia Federici speaking with Silvia about her newest book, Revolution at Point Zero, so stay tuned.
0: You are listening to Latin Ways. We are very privileged this morning to be joined by Sylvia Federici. She is the author of Revolution at Point Zero: Housework, Reproduction, and Feminist Struggle. Very privileged to have you on our program. Thank you for joining us. Ah, uh, thanks to you for inviting me. Now, um, when we think about revolutions, you know, there's often uh, the idea of armed revolution of uprisings, and we often, um, you know, don't think about the specifics of what it is we're trying to revolutionize or change. So tell us a little bit about your book. How was this book inspired, but particularly its focused on housework and reproduction?
1: Yes, The Revolution at Point Zero, it's a book that collects uh, many writings I've done over a period of almost three years, you know, from the times I was They engage organizationally in the women's movement to the present. And uh, it tries to provide a framework to think through, you know, what is domestic work and what is reproductive work as a whole, what place it has in society and in our life, in our experience, why it has been made so invisible and devalued, and also. Uh, the book looks at the transformation that have taken place since the 80s and through the 90s uh, in the restructuring of the global economy and tries to see uh, how these changes have transformed reproductive work and what impact these changes have had on women who have been and continues to be to this day the main, the main subject of, of reproductive work is still women who do most of the housework and most of the domestic work also outside of the home, on on a paid basis. So this is what the book presents. In and uh, you know my, some of the earliest essays are from. Um, the 1970s, when I was involved in an organization called Wages for Housework, the International Campaign for Wages for Housework, you know, our position, I think, revolutionized, truly revolutionized the way uh, housework has been conceived traditionally, because it has always been presented as a work of love, as a personal service that uh, women do to their family, to their children, their husbands, and in a way as something natural, you know, something that uh, belongs or issues from the, the personality, the physical and psychological makeup of women. And uh, we we were fighting against this idea, which has been so important, you know, so effective in making this work invisible making invisible that it is work. It is social work as much as any other form of work. And uh, in a way, we turned the tables around. We said, you know, housework, domestic work, the whole range of reproductive activities that mostly women, not only women, but mostly women have done and do in the home uh, have been the work that has not only reproduced our life, but has also reproduced the workforce and uh, have reproduced people's capacity to go to work on a day-to-day basis. So far from being unimportant, actually this work has been the pillar, you know, the foundation for every other form of work. It have been really the foundation for, you know, the the capitalist organization of work. And we have denounced, we have denounced the fact that, you know, employers uh, have gotten away with a lot of free labor because, uh, you know, without, uh, you know, a person at home, you know, reproducing, you know, workers on a day-to-day basis, reproducing wage workers, every place of employment would shut down. So we, we really changed the term of the debate, and, and that in itself, I think, has been a revolution, certainly has raised the consciousness of the social importance of this work, and has raised the consciousness that we live in a society that in a way is committed to the devaluation of this work, is committed to make this work invisible.
0: I'm so glad that you raised that. Um, You know, when we think of reproduction, um, we don't think about you know the the caring capacity that that reproduction requires and and who provides that. Um, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about um, the way feminism. Uh, you know, as a movement, has become both, uh, for many women, almost an, a, an irritant. You know, I, I was reading recently um, a journal, and the woman said, I identify myself as a womanist, not as a feminist, because feminist is men versus women, and womanist is all people, you know, to eradicate, you know, economic violence against women. And I thought for a second, hmm, interesting. And so can we unpack a little bit how how we could do our revolution in ways that it's uh, more inclusive and accessible to people? Because I find that there is a divide between what feminism in the West means to uh, people who do not take race and class into consideration, and what uh, the idea of, you know, this, uh, perhaps alternative form of feminism, in my opinion, this womanist view of uniting both men and women in the defense of creating a society with equity, um, how, how that two could converge and how that two could find some common ground in this idea of the sexual division of labor of, on the, you know, the ways in which capitalism has naturalized inequality and exploitation as ways of being?
1: First of all, I guess that the, the first thing to clarify is that there is, although feminism is a general umbrella, there are actually very different types of feminism. Uh, for instance, within the women's movement at its beginning as well, uh, after a short phase of seeming unity. You know, you had different political positions, and unfortunately, the one that got more prominent in the media and in the policy has been, you know, liberal feminism. And I think that in many cases, uh, what women object to is, in fact, exactly this kind of feminism, which basically has seen uh, equality with men as a... As the fundamental goal, and uh, ignoring, for instance, that men too are exploited in this society, and uh, you know, as seen, the as exclusive goal entering into the male-dominated areas, you know, and not ignoring, and for example, having access to wage labor, ignoring, for instance, that uh, black women and women from other uh, ethnic groups that have been discriminated have always had to have a wage work because their husband never had the protection of a wage that white male workers had. And so the, this very narrow, and, uh, you know, so, and also the, the fact that liberal feminists never placed the question of um, reproductive work, its evaluation, and the devaluation of women's work, never place it within a broader context, you know, a context that takes into account that we are in an exploitative society, we are in a capitalist society, and unless those those, uh, relationships are also transformed, you know, it's not possible for women to receive any justice. The the, the kind of politics that now is defined as politics of gender, you know, where gender is is now an an absolute term, not really contextualized, you know, within why, why in this particular society, why in this social system, you know, we have uh, this type of organization of housework, this type of organization of reproductive work. This is certainly one one factor that I think alienates a lot of women. Uh, also, there is the impression, and my view is that this has been promoted very much by the press, you know, that feminism is a struggle against men. I, in my long experience, you know, being in the women's movement and studying the women's movement, I never, very few women uh, actually took that position, that men are the problem. Uh, even if sometimes that was sad, you know, because uh, there was in, in the in the impetus of the women's movement when it first established itself, you know, many times women found that the first people they had to struggle against was their husband or father, because, uh, for instance, you wanted to go to a meeting and they wouldn't allow you to go out at night, or they would be very upset that you be with other women and not pay all the time, you know, attention to them. But I don't see in the history of the different feminism across the world that actually women have targeted men as as the enemy. They have targeted inequality. They have targeted subordination. They have targeted economic dependence. So I appreciate women who say I'm a womanist, but I'm not sure that it really resolves the issue. Uh, I think again one of the problems of feminism is that feminism has been uh, very much, you know, domesticated. They're the kind of broad social transformation that in the early part of the movement, uh, at least in the United States, in Europe the broad social transformation that many women intuited as necessary. You know, not only in the condition of women, but the society as a whole had to be changed. That was lost. You know, and then feminism was taken on, you know, by the United Nations government and and domesticated, redefined in a way that could actually support the neoliberal agenda. In my view, this is the problem, you know, with uh, with feminism, and particularly, as I said, liberal feminism, which has now been taken by the media and by the international power structure as to be what the feminist movement is about. And this is is definitely a problem, because it leaves out a whole problematic that has to do with international political economy, has to do with the dispossession of millions of people at the hands of. You know, the corporation, it has a way with the forms of the exploitation of labor in so many different ways. And with the impoverishment that international policies are creating, the destruction of the environment and the new forms of racism that are, you know, daily being constructed. So I think that in, in this sense, in this sense, the dissatisfaction with feminism is genuine. But I would say that this is a kind of institutionalized feminism that uh, is being produced, you know, through the many global conferences organized by the UN, you know, and has been introduced um, starting with the late 70s. But does not represent, you know, all the feminist movement that today uh, exists in the world. Again. I think we need to really distinguish, Uh, otherwise we risk to accept the media portrait of what feminism is
0: one of the struggles that i think we've collectively faced men women you know of all classes is climate change it's also a struggle to remember that we are part of the land that we are actually um, not separate but part of it and so I wonder if you could talk a little bit because we live in a world where 80 percent of all the refugees are women and children yes. and so the attack on mother nature naturalizes it seems to me the violence on women and the Erosion of productive rights.
1: You know, the, the disaster that uh, we have witnessed in the last few days in the Philippines, you know, is the very direct consequence of uh, these devastating policies because uh, there's a general agreement, for instance, that this incredible wind that uh, shaped that hurricane. Are a consequence of the warming of the oceans. And the warming of the ocean, of course, are a consequence of the the really criminal uh, blindness and criminal diffusal, you know, to change form of production, you know, which is in fact destroying the environment. And it's not only climate change in general, but uh, wherever you go from the, the furthest of Africa to Latin America, to the U.S., you find exactly the same problem. You find the mining companies now are expropriating, are massively expropriating in violent and fraudulent ways, often with the complicity of local chiefs, governments, and so on, people, and then squeeze this land, you know, squeeze this land to take anything out, and uh, whether it is gold or, or diamond or platinum uh, or, or, or oil, you have fracking that uh, is destroying so many, in the U.S. as well, you know, thousands of kilometers in so many countries. So many places you have the same struggle today, whether it is Canada, whether it is, for example, the case of New Brunswick. Very recently where you have a whole indigenous population fighting against uh, the, the attempt to for the mining company to, to come and do fracking in their territory, you know, who have come and confronted the police, and they've been beaten, they've been arrested, this just a few weeks ago. In fact, the struggle is still continuing to this day. And not only the land, but the seas, the seas and the forests, you know, so we are moving towards a world where people are being made uh, you know, homeless, refugees, you know, forced more and more into refugee camps or into these mega cities, twenty million people, you know, they I think the idea of this corporation, the Monsanto and and the mining companies because there is a real continuity between the politics of agrofuel, agrobusiness and mining. Basically, the idea of pushing the people of the world into mega cities and then uh, have complete control over the natural resources of the planet. This, I think, is the scenario, the landscape that is unfolding and uh, all we can hope is that uh, people's resistance will be able to put a stop to it? Will be able to reverse it?
0: The other part I think is that we need to maybe explore how we go about resistance, because if the resistance of, uh, workers in the Philippines and the resistance of workers in Canada and the U.S. were aligned, um, we would have very different response. You know, the Monsanto, uh, companies would not be able to simply move with impunity. If, you know, if, if our struggles yes. were aligned, um, we would not have to Debate whether women's work in the home should be shared work should be you know acknowledged as labor, um, you know we would have, we would have a, a, at least a, a conversation you know and yes. have the spaces to I have. Yeah, uh,
1: I think it's very very important. For instance, as a as an example, this summer I was in Greece, I was in Thessaloniki, and uh, some friends drove me up to this area, Argyr which is in the north of Greece. the a beautiful, beautiful area. It's little paradise. It is near one of the oldest forests in Europe. The sea is marvelous. And there are all kinds of beautiful old villages. And right there, a, a Canadian company from Vancouver, its headquarters are based in Vancouver. It's called El Dorado. And I know because I did some research, so I know it's in Vancouver. It's uh, basically planning this incredible project, which is an open mine extraction of gold, which means that the construction of a huge, huge hole uh, that would be filled with uh, all kinds of cyanide or mercury to detach the gold from the ore. Already they have begun logging from this very ancient forest so presumably the forest will be destroyed at the end of the process. Actually the process does not have an end inside. The gold in the, in the terrain is very small. So in order to dig the gold, they have to move a huge amount of soil and that will create a permanent cloud in the sky. Permanent cloud in the sky. So the villagers Around have been protesting and protesting and protesting. They've been really, uh, also, unfortunately, this company, El Dorado, has the support of the government and the government sends the police. When we drove up to the village, we saw, you know, a police truck station almost close to the entrance of the village. And, uh, of course, The connection, if people from Greece could be connected with people uh, who are against this type of practices in Vancouver.
0: I wonder if we could talk about the alternatives, because in many ways we were talking about creating a new commons, you know, a a commons of uh, sharing not just knowledge, but also resources. Absolutely. Uh, you know, a, a number of things I think is very important
1: for realise life that uh, even now with that is immense drive to, you know, take over all the land by the corporation, nevertheless, you still have many populations in the world, I think Latin America is a good example, who still have the land, who still own land in common and still manage the land on a community base, on a communitarian base. It's very important to know, because many times when we speak of sharing, sharing the resources of the earth, you know, people have been so individualized and people have been often so, in a sense, convinced that capitalism is the only way and the notion of private property, uh, that, that this is the, and competition. You know, in the labor market. These ideas have uh, become for many a kind of second nature. It's important to know actually that not only historically you know, people organize their life in a communitarian base, but even today that exists. So those commons are very much under attack. I, w- I want to conclude our discussion by going back to the theme of revolution, because a revolutionary productive work you know, revolution at point zero, which is the, the moment of the production, because I think it's there that we have to begin to change uh, our our world, you know, our relationship. We certainly have to create a world that is based on a very different logic than the capitalist logic. We have to build a world that is based on cooperation, and is built not on the expectation of other human beings and it's not built on the exploitation of the natural world, you no, know? because this is a world that can only promise poverty, war and different forms of racism. And already we see how destructive it is of the planet and human life. So the alternative today for many people is encapsulated in the idea of the commons. And in my view, we begin to build the commons not only defending, you know, those spaces and those natural resources that are all around us and now are being privatized, you know. So we need to build a movement and coalition between people who are struggling around ecology, feminists and uh, many other social movements. To defend those spaces but we also have to transform the everyday life we have to transform our homes of reproduction which has been organized in a way that divides us you know uh, it's been organized in a way that really individualizes and atomizes our life and you know this is not, it's a way that um, makes us feel more powerless more alone so I'm very interested in fact of rethinking the home, you know, rethinking the relationship between the home and the community and uh, seeing how we can in fact transform begin to transform our life, starting from you know our relationship in the family, but also the whole social architecture of the home and the way reproductive work is performed. So we need, in fact, to, as part of our struggle and even as a base from which to begin to reclaim the resources that are taken away from us, you know, but we need to really create a new social fabric. And I think that that's the kind of revolution that uh, we need to begin, you know, in our own life, you know, starting from our home.
0: As I was listening to you, I thought, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if this society also included, you know, the right to leisure, the right to imagine ourselves, you know, enjoying. Right, because it's work, work, work. You know,
1: there are no women. Uh, Women are, in the United States, they are the main consumer of uh, antidepressants. Depression is today
0: a, a national disease. They say we live longer, but how do we live? Thank you so much for being with us today. What inspires you? What inspires you to get up every morning and mobilize and organize and continue to do work that many people see as an uphill struggle?
1: You know, what inspires me is the fact that no matter how bad things appear and are hopeless, children are still born and they are going to pose questions of us. You know, I remember myself as a child. I used to on my mother and say, you know, why why was I born during the war? You know, I think of the new children, the new generation who are expecting to have a life.
0: Thank you so much for being with us. My guest is Dr. Soli Federici. She is the author of Revolution at Ground Zero. Tell our audience how they can access your book. Distributed by PM Press or I'm sure also Amazon. come to the end of our program. Latin Waves is a weekly syndicated program available to campus and community radios. Please visit our website www.latinwavesmedia.com to hear previous shows, connect to our media projects, and access other resources, or to support our efforts by making a safe PayPal contribution. I am Sylvia Richardson. Thanks for listening.